I'll tell you the difference between the first service and the second service today. Y'all had your coffee and you ate your breakfast. It feels good. There's a difference. So anyway, I love what Mel said. You know, I'm okay with weird because I think that the weird, and again, we, we well, what does that mean? God does things in mysterious ways. And, and I just love it because when, when God shows up, um, sometimes we're like, wow, that's pretty cool, isn't it? And a thing, again, I was, I was thinking about it as I was sitting back there. The first service, I didn't do this, but I've got I've to do this because I miss it. The more we hang out, the more we walk together, the more we get to know each other, the better off we are because what? We're better together. That's it. So this morning... Romans chapter 3, and I want to preface everything I'm going to say. There's going to be a, a, a portion of this message. It's not normally. This, this took a lot of work on my behalf because I like to jump right to this topic and just, just dwell there. But as Pastor Mike has been sharing over, over the last few weeks, there is so much history and so much richness found within the Word of God. And we've been talking about the context what is happening in that period of time? You can say, well, what does that matter? Because it's, it's 2019. It matters because it allows us a deeper understanding if we take the time and process what that means. Does that make sense? So I want you just to, to bear in mind as I kind of, I kind of work through here, work through this, uh, work through it with me, okay? That's what I'm trying to say to you because I think it's important. So this morning, I want to dive into the area of surrounding the faithfulness of God. And I want to uh, preface everything that I say this morning by, by saying this. The faithfulness of God is immeasurable. It is beyond our own understanding. And I'll probably say that again because the faithfulness of God is this thing that, to be honest with you, I don't always understand because in our life, there are many things that we can't count on. There are many things that are unfaithful, but God is not defined by our experiences, but by Him and Him alone. He is faithful. So for the purpose of this morning's message, we want to define something I think it's important. We'll define faithful as loyal, constant, and steadfast. Nothing tricky there, just pretty, pretty straightforward. But I want you to think about it, especially as parents, how many times have you heard the words, but you promised? And, you, and, and I, heard, I hear, you know, someone kind of going, yeah. Because what we do is, as parents, is a child, and not only a child, a teenager, hey, 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 can we? Oh, yeah, 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 we can do that. Really, you're not acknowledging fully what you're saying yes to, Right? But you say, yeah, yeah, they'll do that. But the kid does not forget. You see, our memory of our promises are not as accurate and as acute as our kids' memories. And they will be deeply disappointed, what, when you forget. In fact, they're not going to let you forget, especially if it's something they want to do. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God doesn't forget his promises to me. I'm glad that God doesn't forget his promises to his church. 
I'm glad that God doesn't forget his promises to Hope Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, because you all know there are a whole bunch of churches scattered throughout our city, throughout our country, throughout this world, and God hasn't forgotten any of them because why? He keeps his word. You see, when he makes a promise, he will deliver. You hear me? When he makes a promise, he will deliver. They're going to show it on the screen, Galatians 5.22. Faithfulness is one of those attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a biblical word describing those who keep their promises. It does not mean full of faith, but rather worthy of faith. Faithfulness says, I will keep my word. I will not fail you. I won't quit on you. So here's the challenge. I find less in my life as faithful. So if we use that definition or we use our experience as what is faithful, the degree to which we are faithful to things becomes less. This week, I committed to go back to the gym. I don't like going to the gym. I would much rather be hiking in a mountain than a gym. And there's those machines that, that uh, sit at the outskirts of the gym that very few people use. And since I've had issues in surgery with my knee and they were for the legs and stuff like that, I'm, I'm going to give those a shot. Can I tell you, those are the most excruciating machines you've ever witnessed in your life. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go in the gym and look for the ones that are on the corners. The first day, I felt good. I mean, I'm like, hey, this is feeling great. I'm in good shape. The next day, the soreness. The third day, I couldn't walk. It hurt so bad. And people are like, well, what'd you do? And I wanted to say, you know, I got in, you know, I was up in the mountains and a bear came out and, you know, all this kind of stuff. You want to share something that's like, whoa, seriously? And what I said is, I went to the gym and I did those machines. I'm not too faithful on those machines anymore. The point that I'm making is that no matter how hard, how odd, how miraculous it needs to be, God's faithful. He doesn't quit on us. He doesn't stop on us. He doesn't say, well, you know, I'm not so sure about that. Have you ever had anything in your life you just like I don't know. And I'll tell you, I want to be honest with you. There are moments in my life where I'm not comfortable in those zones. I, I want to be in the zone where everything's just cool. But that isn't how God works. Because to really understand, and I've said this before, how do you know the definition of peace without chaos and storms? How do you not understand, and it's impossible to understand God's faithfulness without experiencing something that is faithless? There are going to be times in your life where you're going to stand down, whatever it is, and you're going to say this, unless God does, unless God moves, unless God speaks to this situation. And I'm going to tell you, those are the moments when your faith will be initiated and it will have to be engaged. And you're going to say, but my God, my God can, my God will, my God is able. 
You see, God is faithful. So as we turn to Romans chapter 3, and this begins the part that I want you just to hang in there with me because I think it's important. If we could just rewind for a moment, we've witnessed in chapters 1 and 2 this description of categories of people. And again, I'm, I'm kind of simplifying it because it really is this grouping of people that Paul is writing to. And he's addressing these that we would describe as not only worldly, we could describe them as self-righteous. We talked about those that you know want to make judgments and judging others and all that kind of stuff. And we even would describe them as religious thinking they all have it put together. In fact, the Word of God referenced them as, they call them as Pharisees. See, Paul begins his writing in chapter 3 in order to set this scene that is just beautiful as it, as it kind of unfolds of God's faithfulness, but all, not only God's faithfulness, but wants to illustrate and point out to each one of us that we are not better just because of who we are, just because there's a label as we as a Christian, and as Paul references as Jew and Gentile, that you're not just better because of your description or your category, because of your nationality, because of anything, but he says this, you are better because of who God is within you. It makes no difference of anything else. Think about it this way. How much better would our, would our world be if we would not focus on our differences but what we have in common if we focus on the things of God rather than the other stuff? Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. This is true. Some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the Scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. You see, Rome was a city full of all kinds of people. Although there is a little bit of, uh, of, a, of a distinction as to the treatment of the Jews from their oppressors during that period of time as there has been throughout the history of the world, we know that it would be fair to say that they were either ordered out of Rome completely or minimally allowed to continue their traditional way of life, their practice, but not allowed to meet together. Now, I asked this question in the first service. I'm just curious. How many of you are historian buffs? You just really like to dig into history. Wow, we've got a few. That's, there's a huge difference between first and second service. Interesting. We got smarter. There you go. Those of you that kind of, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes the historical part, I got to really dig in because I'm like, okay, what do I need to learn here? But it was somewhere between A.D. 47 and 54. That's like a long time ago. Okay? Sometimes I can barely figure out what happened yesterday, more or less today. But here's what I love about the Word of God. We're talking about A.D. 49 and 54. We know that Paul's letter to the Romans, and again, this is estimate, was somewhere around A.D. 57. And you say, well, what's the significance of it? That was during a time where the, the emperor, Caesar uh, Claudius, was. He, he, we know that he expelled people. In fact, here's the beauty of the Word of God. 
if you turn, it will be on your screen. So Acts chapter 18, verse 2. It says, there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy with when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. And I love this why. Because it points out not only historically what was happened, but the word of God as it walks in parallel. The word of God is our authority. And it's what we look to, and I love reading these kind of things. And as you said, well, what's the big deal? What was, what was the deal? This was important because it shaped the dynamics of what was happening at that point in time and why he was writing. You say, well, why did, what was the deal? Why did it impact them and, and shape them differently or whatever? Because it changed how people gathered together. It changed who gathered together. The chemistry was different. And I thought about this, this illustration is how many of you come in today uh, basically going to the same spot that you sit every week? Raise your hand if that's you. I mean, seriously, that's what you do. I come up here every and I can pick where basically you are. And it's funny because there are sometimes when people, you come late, and then you, you open the door and you're like, oh, they're in my seat. It's, it's true, right? First service, we had some people that were kind of, sh- you know, kind of shifted it up. Tanner and his wife, are they here? I think they were out of town, but I've seen that they just move around. They, in fact, you, as Pastor Mike said, you probably should move around because you're going to meet different people because so many of us lock in. We go in the same door to enter. We go in the same door to the auditorium, and that's what we do. And we look over and we say, hey, we're better together. And you should wave over like, hey, I don't know you all. True. I mean, there's a whole different group that comes at 9 o'clock. You know, my favorites right now, obviously, but, you know. But it's different. You know, when you come, you're like, I don't, I don't know these people. This is different. I'm on the different side. I don't know the angle to look at the screen. If you sit in the middle, you don't even know which way to look. Do you look right or do you look left? But it's different. And that's exactly what was happening This tension is important to recognize as Paul addressed issues that relate to all that he was writing to. So what was Paul trying to to make them consider or think about? It didn't matter, Jew or Gentile. Our text begins with the word then. And again, I want you to hang with me because we're going to get to the, the, the kind of the, the meat of what I want to talk about this morning. But it's important. He begins the word then, which means that which follows is a response to what he previously said. So then you, you're reading the word and you're being faithful because I know we all open our Bibles. And we're like, I'm going to read chapter 3. And then next week we'll probably be in maybe the latter part of 3 or maybe 4 so you can read ahead. But when you get to a spot where it says then and you're like, oh, man, i got to turn the page and go back to the next chapter because he's, he's commenting about something. So you go, rewind for a moment. He says, what is the advantage of being a Jew? In other words, what profit is it to be a Jew if being Jewish does not guarantee your salvation? Then he goes on to the response with the circumcision. And again, he's referencing that in Romans 2, 25 through 29. In chapter 3, he goes, look back. Look at what I'm talking about. And he's made clear very well there that it's just only a symbol, a sign of salvation. That cutting your body will not get you into heaven. So what advantage is it? 
And what he's doing is trying to take the argument away, both for Jew and Gentile. There is no privileged group. There is no special group. Yes, they were entrusted to the full word of God, the oracles of God, a loved group of people. There is no doubt about that, none whatsoever. But what he was saying and paving the way is to say that Jesus came. His faithfulness was for everyone, Jew or Gentile, sinner or saint. That's really, in essence, what he was saying. You can make an argument for anything you want, but to understand that God loves all. We could ask ourselves the same question this way. What advantage was it to grow up in a Christian family? And I would say there is an advantage in that. Those of you that are raising your kids in a Christian home, there is an advantage. But it doesn't guarantee anything because at some point in time that child will have to take the faith of a mom and dad and say you know what that was good enough to get me far enough but now I've got to own it as they become teenagers and as they become young adults no longer holding on to the faith of their mom and dad in fact scripture talks about it that there was a generation the word of God says a generation that had lost the God of their forefathers I always say to young adults, you got to own your faith. Because if not, you'll end up losing if it's not your own. What advantage is it to grow up in a Christian family what, if it doesn't guarantee your salvation? What advantage is it for you to go to a good church, a Bible-teaching church? Hope, hope teaches the Word of God. That's what we center everything we say on. But at some point in time, you've got to start cracking it open. We say this over and over and over. There is no excuse not to know the promises that God has promised you. Those promises go beyond what somebody says from this platform. Those promises are found within your word just as much as they are found in mine. And those are to be read and to be interpreted and to be immersed and absorbed within yourself to say, I know the Word of God. And here's the beauty of it. You say, well, what's the advantage of knowing the Word of God? Then you know the promises of God. If you know the promises of God, then you know the faithfulness of God. So what is the advantage? It says, yes, there are great benefits. I already touched on this. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. He gave that to them. An incredible gift, but also he's given it to us as well for today. We have that. It's such a beautiful gift. So the advantage was that they were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. Just as the Jews were entrusted with the revelation of God, and, and again, we, we, we need to understand it. And what he was saying is, is it doesn't mean that we're, they were without, without flaw or failure. It says, it says their unbelief. In essence, Paul was saying all are not without failure, all fall short, all fail. And he goes on 3.3. He says, true, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, and I love this part, just because we are unfaithful, just because there are times in our lives where we fail. I don't know about you, but how many of you get excited when you're like, you know what, I'm going to fail this really, really big time. You ever seen, you guys see the T-Mobile commercial? It is one of the most creative commercials. I love it because it's between a mom and the kid, and the kid's like, hey, what's up? I love you. And I'm, I'm just paraphrasing. It's not perfect, but, like, what's going on? You know, you're so great. You're so awesome. You're so smart. And then pretty much the response is, like, I guess you failed the math test. 
He's like, yes, and you're so smart. We don't sign up like, hey, I'm going to buckle up because I'm going to fail this one. Kind of flashes me back to high school and, and college taking uh, algebra class. I knew when I was taking it, I was going to fail it, but, you know, I gave it my best shot. It's a true story. Wasn't my deal. You don't want me being a scientist for you because you'll be hurting. But he says, even though they were unfaithful, even though they failed, even though they whatever, Jesus says this, but does that mean God will be unfaithful? You see, the faithfulness of God is true and has been proven over and over and over. Scripture say in Hebrews chapter 6, 18, it says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. He says, these two things are unchangeable. And I love that. Because it is impossible, what, for God to lie. It says, therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. You see, God cannot lie. Nor can he break an unconditional promise that he says he will fulfill. Every covenant he has made, he will keep. Every promise or even foretelling has or will come true. So why is this important? The question Paul addresses, and if you look throughout that, the text, he asks some 15 questions right within that particular portion of Scripture. He says, what if, what if some did not believe God? Will that nullify the promise of God? Does our lack of faith cancel God's faithfulness? And the answer is, as he responds in Romans 3, 4, he says, of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. You see, God's faithfulness is not dependent upon humanity's faithlessness. And I want you to hold on to you say, well, what are you saying? What I'm saying is in the moments where we are faithless, where we don't understand and we don't know and we doubt and all that kind of stuff, that is not contingent upon what God will do and does do. His promise stands true even in the midst of doubt. His promise stands true even in the moment where we don't believe and say, God, God, I'm not so sure. And we touched on this, this this last week, but if you were in the second service, I believe that we saw a perfect example of God's faithfulness. And we continue to pray for Hickory and for Kirby and their family. Why? Because God's faithful. And I don't know about you, but there are times where I'm just like, I'm not so sure I want to obey that prayer because if I obey that prayer, and especially if somebody hears that prayer, well, what if it doesn't happen? Do you know what? That's on me. That's my problem. That has nothing to do with God. That's lack of faith rather than believing in a God that can. You want to talk about bold prayers? Say the things that you're not so sure you can handle on your own. You want God to show up? Do something bigger than you. You want to step out? You know, we always say, God, use me. Church is over. We go to lunch quicker than we can get out before talking to anybody else. How does God use you when you're running out the door? Just saying. 
God's faithlessness is not dependent on humanity's faithlessness. My faithlessness, my doubt, is dependent on his character. And I love that God's character never changes. He said again, it doesn't. It's the same over and over and over. God is always faithful. So what advantage is it for us? Romans 3, verses 9 through 10. Kind of, kind of get in the meat of, of the whole chapter. He says, well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, and here's the part, all people, whether Jew or Gentile, are under the power of sin, as the Scriptures say. No one, no one is righteous, not even one. So Paul was wiping the slate clean in order to say that no one is righteous, not even one. We all fail. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter who you are, what your backdrop is, background, nationality. It doesn't matter. We're all the same. Sinner or saint, it doesn't matter. Romans 3, 21 through 24 says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law because there's no pre-described thing if you do this five times. When I recommitted my life to Christ, that's what I would do. I, was, I believe God for a miracle, and if I thought if I prayed that prayer five times, he would answer the prayer. And if, and if I did it four times, he wouldn't. And if he didn't answer the five, well, maybe it was ten times. I'll offer the prayer up ten times. And as I matured in the things of God, I understood that his faithfulness has nothing to do with how many times I jump up and down. But it has all to do with this. And saying, God, I trust you. I believe in you. You ever think about the scripture says he knows the number of hairs on our head or the lack thereof? <laughs> I wasn't referencing, but you know. As I get older, I may lose more, but I'll have it here. That's just one thing. But you ever think about what that means? You know what that says? He knows me. He knows you. And if he knows you, let's talk about his faithfulness for a moment. Let's talk about his promises to you. He says, we are what? Made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for what? Everyone who believes. No matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. We have all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Wow. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to take all of that, the history of, of Romans chapter 3, and just, and just continue on the thought, this concept of God's faithfulness, but also talk about the things that I believe hinder us, trap us, keep us, not only from walking into the full faithfulness of God, but keep us trapped in the things that I'll call the mess of life. And I don't know about you, but there are times where even though I believe that God can, even though that I know that God is able, I still stay stuck. I still stay in the same spot. 
It's no different why. You say, well, why are you going to the gym? Because I know I need to get in better shape. I can't get in better shape sitting on my couch. I wish that was true. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've, I've met very few people in my life. They say, hey, you, you want to go running today? No, I don't want to go running. You want to go to the gym or do you want to go to P.F. Chang's? I'll choose Chang's every day. No, that doesn't sound like fun. You say, well, you don't like going to the gym? No, I don't. Who does? But I know it's good for me. So this big idea is God's faithfulness. So the questions I want to ask you is, how do we overcome sin in our lives? How do we get through tough times? How do we overcome obstacles? How do we plug into the faithfulness of God rather than being faithless? You can say, well, well, I, I read the Word of God. That's, that's Yes. But see, I believe there's a strong comparison that can be made between the audience of Paul's writing as he was writing to those that, that we could say that thought they had arrived, that thought they were privileged, thought that they'd gotten to the spot in life because they said, you know what, there's, this is, we, we've been entrusted, we've been, we've been touched, and, and those things are probably even true. We know that there was an advantage. They were, they were, they were given the, the full word of God, says the oracles of God in another translation. But what I'm saying is this. We're each here in church, but we still deal with failure. We still deal with the messes of life. We still deal with the consequences of sin. We still get stuck. So let me ask you a question. What advantage is there? And again, we could spend the rest of the morning talking about what the advantage is, but I'll simply say this as I divert just for a moment. The advantage is that, one, we're together. We are better together. That just isn't, as Pastor Mike said, it's not just a slogan. If you really believe that, then that means you will look for, uh, for times and places and positions to go, you know what, if I believe in better together, then i got to hang out with you all more. That means you come to a worship night. That means you come and you volunteer maybe on Thursday nights. That means that you get involved and you serve. And you say, well, it's all about serving. No, it's about just coming and getting to know somebody. And if you don't know somebody, you know, something I've always shared about, about myself is I'm not comfortable just going to the lobby like, hey, my name's Chad. What's your name? I'm not comfortable doing that. That's not me. But I know we're better together. So I force myself to do it. Why? Because I really do believe it. And I love experiencing the faithfulness of God, not just by myself, but together, because I think it's a beautiful thing. In fact, we could say that I believe that's one of the reasons why God said, you know what, the church is a great thing that I'm going to put my hand upon, because I believe you all are better together. If you don't know what to talk, read Book of Acts. Just start in chapter 1 and kind of work your way through. You see, it's easy to forget God's faithfulness. It's easy to forget that he is faithful. So I want to give you two key points, and the first one is this. Rather than focus on everything else, I want you to focus on him. It's easy for us to lose our focus and why. You know, you ask the question, I'm always asking why. Why is it so easy to lose our focus? Because we're busy. Because our margins, we have no margins in life. You maybe want to do say, hey, I'd love to go to worship night, but I've already obligated myself. Well, that's fine. Bring your friends. 
if you if you can't get out of that, then no, it's going to be next month, so you'll be okay. You schedule that out. We all have these really smart phones. They're probably smarter than most of us, right? And it, here's the beauty of the thing. I forget things. If I go in the grocery store, I forget what I went in the grocery store for. But here's the thing. Make a list. I still wander up and down every, every aisle, you know, because you, you bring 20 things out more than what you put on the list. But that's the fun part of an adventure. I love the teriyaki bowl that Harris Teeter is saying. But focus on him. Lamentations chapter 3 is kind of the, kind of the text I want to work through on this point. Next two points is chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. It says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. Can you just, just think about this? This is really pretty much what he's saying is, oh, my life. You know, it's kind of like me the other day. Oh, my legs hurt so much because of those wretched machines at the back of the gym. He says, I will what? Never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. You see, dwelling on your sorrow will only increase your sorrow. Dwelling on your sadness will only increase your sadness. Dwelling on your issue will only make it a bigger issue. I Googled the other day, how do you overcome a really, really bad, really intense leg workout? And you know what it said? I wanted you to know this thing was, you know, if you touch your knee two times here, it'll be gone. There was nothing like that. It said, get up and start moving. Bring, bring you know, blood into the muscles. I'm like, well, that's not an answer that I wanted to hear. <laughs> you ever read stuff like that? No, that's not the answer. I'll look for another one. So it said, get up, get up and moving. So if, if you know me, I love my dog. There are very few things in life that mean more to me, but I do love my dog. And I said, Kyle, let's go for a walk. He's like, yeah, let's go. And the whole time I'm like, ouch, ouch, ouch. But you know what? I felt better the next day. Maybe they were right. Now here's the deal. When we focus on him, that doesn't mean all the chaos and the craziness of life just goes away. It sometimes stays. And in those moments of sadness and sorrow, what I want to say to you this morning is it's okay to express those moments of sadness, discontentment or whatever it may be. When you experience any kind of loss in your life, is good and it's right for you to express the sorrow over that loss. And we don't always hear that in church because we always say, hey, God is able you know, it's kind of the, the whole thing, like, when you're really, like, I always say this, hey, how are you doing? And everybody, oh, yeah, no, I'm doing good, doing good. And really, like, you're breaking inside. Have you ever thrown somebody off by, hey, what's up, how are you doing? And you just say, I'm doing horrible, can I talk to you for a moment? That's when you're going to find out if you have a friend or not. I mean, honestly, one, you have to pay, they might even not even have been paying attention because here if I'm walking up, and like, hey, Scott, what's up, how are you doing? I'm not even listening for the comment. And here's the truth of the matter. Half the time, I don't really care. I do, obviously, Scott. But you get my point because I'm moving on. But you get somebody that goes, hey, wait, 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 hold on. I'm not doing good. And it's like, stop, right? You're like, whoa, hold on. So here's what I say when someone says that to me because you can look at me. If you're really looking, say, hey, man, what's going on? How are you? And usually what we do, especially as guys, like, oh, I'm Okay. And here's my response. Are you trying to convince me of that or what's going on? It's okay to share that. 
You see, sometimes as believers, we feel this pressure to put on this happy face and pretend that everything is okay when it's not. I believe it's not right because it's not honest. Does that mean you air over all your laundry? No, please don't. But it's okay. So you know what? I'm struggling. Can you pray for me? Now, I want to give you, give you some advice. Right there in that moment, pray for them. Don't just say, I'll pray for you. Because if you're like me, you're going to forget to pray for them. And that doesn't mean that you have a big, you know, Holy Spirit moment wherever you're at. You can if you want, and that's what God wants. But you know what? There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know what? Let me pray for you, Mom. God, whatever it is that's going on in your life, I pray, Father, according to your will and purpose in their life, that I want you to come in and, and be with them. In the name of Jesus, amen. That's okay. Rather, we, we send them packing, oh, keep, keep, keep on pressing on, come on, Scott, you'll be all right, man, it's okay. You know what I do? I walk away from those situations like, I hope they will pray. Because in that moment, you know what's happening? Maybe my faith isn't where it needs to be. Maybe my sadness has overcome my joy. Maybe my belief in God is a little bit tainted that day. And I don't know about you, but anybody have those days? The truth of the matter is this, that God expresses, it's okay to share our feelings. Romans 12, 15, we'll, we'll be there in a little bit, but it says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. It's okay. See, expressing your sadness or whatever emotion, it, it is healthy. Dwelling on it isn't. You know, we can, we can sit, and I don't know about you, but I'm really good at my own pity parties. And you know what? The, when we're really good at our own pity parties, you know what's even better? I'm being facetious, just FYI, is when we bring other people into our own. And at that point, it can be many different things. It could be gossip. It could be whatever. Just stop. You say, what are you saying? What I'm saying is to focus on him. Quit dwelling on the stuff. Acknowledge it. It's okay to acknowledge it. It's okay to have those feelings and then move on. Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. The second key, the second point is we focus on him. What I want you to do is to limit distractions. Think about every day when I drive in the car and I see the person who has their left or right hand on the steering wheel and the other hand with their phone going like this. I don't feel safe around them, to be honest with you. I would qualify that as a distraction. You see, when our eyes get too far to the left or to the right and they're not focused on him, those are the moments that I believe we stay stuck. We are challenged with our faith. We have odds at times believing in the promises. Why? Because we're distracted. As we focus on him, we limit the distractions. You can't look up by looking down. You can't say, well, I'm going to do this, and then you're way over here. You can't find hope by dwelling on your troubles. You can't find peace by dwelling on your problems. 
You can't find the faithfulness of God by being faithless. At some point in time, you have to make a decision. Do I engage that which I know is found within me? And I'm going to tell you, there are times within my life, the only thing that I can do is repeat Scripture rather than feeling the promise. But the more that you repeat the scripture which is the promise the faithfulness of God is revealed so eventually as you say it over and over God you are my healer you say yeah God you are God you are my healer and I know God is true And then at some point you say, God, you are my healer. Because at some point in time, you have to get in your life to what we would call a turning point. And I used this illustration in the first service. I don't need someone to tell me or to read a book when I need to chill out on the chains. And you say, well, what do you mean? When you're when you don't need a belt in your jeans, that means you've done it a little bit too much. Make sense? But the thing is this, that we like, well, when God speaks to me, well, when the bad times come, whatever, it's like sometimes we just got to stop and say, you know what? I'm going to focus on him. I'm going to limit the distractions. This is a turning point in my life because I don't want to remain the same. I don't want to be stuck. How many of you have been praying for something over and over? God, help me with this. And you're still there. And what I want to say to you is this, that God's faithfulness is big enough to overcome whatever that thing you're praying for. And I love this part in Lamentations 3.21. I believe that he gets to this turning point, And he says, yet, I still dare to hope. And you can say, well, what, what's he saying? What he was saying is, he's continuing this thought. He was saying, you know what? Remember remember the sorrow and the anguish and, oh, I'll never forget. That's what he just said, just a couple scriptures away. But I believe all of a sudden the presence of God and he remembered the faithfulness of God and he says this, yet I still, what? Dare to hope when I remember this. Understand there's no denial of his sufferings. He doesn't minimize what's going on in his life. But he makes a choice. You say a choice to do what? A choice to focus and remember on the faithfulness of God rather than the situation. A choice to remember and act upon the faith of God and the faithfulness in his life rather than the sorrow and the sadness or whatever it may be in his life. He chooses not to dwell on them. He chooses to remember God's faithfulness. Verse 22 and 24 says, The faithful love the Lord, the, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And I want to stop there for just a moment. Remember a wise person years ago, probably when I was 20, 21, and I was stuck. He said this, he goes, the sun will rise again. And I want to be honest with you, at that point in my life, here's what I said internally, what are you talking about? 
like you're crazy. Could I tell you you're 2019 and a few years older? What he's saying is the faithfulness of God will endure. The sun will rise as it always does. You will be okay. God will prove himself over and over and over and over. Since I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. You see, God is not only faithful, his faithfulness is great. His faithfulness is perfect, infinite, overflowing, and far beyond our own understanding. In fact, you could say it this way. Because God has been faithful in the past, I can trust him today with my present. And I want you to think about, think about what God has done in your life. And my guess is that there is a story that each one of us could share. God you have been faithful. Because you've been faithful, I will trust you today in my present. And because you have been faithful in all those areas, I will trust you with my tomorrow. Jew or Gentile, sinner or saint, no differentiation between nationality or personhood in this place. As we all recognize today that we have all failed, we are all sinners, but for the grace of God. And I say that, but for the grace of God, His faithfulness endures and His promises stand true for each one.